come up here, and then you kind of, at some point, we have to, like, acknowledge that there are people here. Yeah. And then we have we a conversation? Have, we have the general back and forth, okay. the coming and going. Okay. The, now, how know. do you know, like, like, when, like, when does it start? Usually, the lights okay. start shining really brightly in our eyes. Like, like now. And, yeah, you start to sweat maybe a little bit. Oh, so we that, should start. That is happening. That is happening. We should, happening. We should so start. We should oh, start. Welcome to Southfield. <laughs> I say it or to you? you you got it. Got it. Welcome to Southfield. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, excited for the day. Uh, I know that Pastor Dennis is actually, uh, rumor has it, scouting out what's happening in some of the, uh, the rooms with the littles. Yeah, so he's around. He's uh, visiting big kids and little kids, seeing what is going on on the other side of the building, seeing what pieces of their service he can bring into here. I hear that he's really looking forward to, to dancing good. on his new knees. Good, good. Uh, and I, I think that... Uh, Last week, I actually got to see a little bit of what big kids did, and cool. there was, or maybe this was a couple weeks ago, but uh, there was some crab walking involved. I okay. really hope not only that he got to do that today, but that we have that next Sunday okay. in the big All room. Right. So get ready, stretch out for next week. Well, you're speaking next Sunday, so I you wasn't could probably. Blow that, but <laughs> well, I get the opportunity to uh, speak today, and I'm excited yes, yeah. for the opportunity. Yeah. So. I want to let you know about a couple of things that are happening. Uh, Back by popular demand, as it happens, uh, we had finished our volleyball uh, time, season, the volleyball season we had finished. And uh, by popular demand, people wanted to to keep playing, Mm -hmm. amazingly enough. And so uh, 6.30 to 8.30 on Fridays, and boy, we had a great time uh, this last uh, Friday. We had a bunch of people out there. Uh, and speaking of the whole dancing thing, some, something called church clap. Do you know what that is? Yes, that, I do. That happened, yeah. and I made the mistake of trying to engage in that, and I think I pulled a, like a hip flexor or something. So, you know, volleyball, a lot of fun, but, you know, just kind of watch it out there. Don't go crazy. <laughs> yeah, make sure you limber up before uh, heading up. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing that's coming up here for our kids, um, we have a, a really, really cool um, Christmas program coming up. And we have some roles that still need to be filled. We're looking for kids aged 2 through 5th grade to be a part of the choir for that night. I've gotten a little bit of a, a sneak peek into the show because I helped with some of the, the putting in some of the tech this week. It is going to be incredible. So you definitely want, if you are 2 to 5, and you, or 2, second, two, two years to old, 5th grade, fifth grade, words are hard. Um, <laughs> if you are 2 to 5th grade, go ahead. Uh, we need you to sign up for that if you want to be a part of the choir by next Sunday, November 20th, because registration closes. So it is something that you can't just show up and do because there are some songs that we need you to listen to and prepare before two mandatory practices that happen on the two following Tuesdays. So the 22nd and the 29th are the mandatory practices for the choir. Um, And it's, yeah, it's going to be a really, really cool opportunity for just anybody to get involved if you don't have like one of those those primary roles. Cool, cool. That's great. Next Sunday, so that registration closes next Sunday. Before that registration closes, we are heading out. Hopefully, your hips in good shape for this. But well, it's not. I already told you. Yeah, this is. John is going to make an epic comeback for our annual Turkey Bowl game. Uh, so one o'clock next Sunday at the Shanahan Junior High soccer field, we are going to set up a, a big flag football field, and it's it's become a, a really fun tradition for us to just go hang out, uh, high school and up are invited. Anybody that wants to just come and watch, it's fine. Here's going to be a little cold, so dress warmly. Okay. But we give you that time uh, in between services to go home, grab some lunch, and come on out. Uh, from, we're going to be hanging out from about 1 to 3, 
And again, that's anybody high school age and, and older. The, the reason that we put that age limit on is because it's, it's hard to control your bodies as you get older. That's and, true. And uh, Harry has just gotten bigger okay. and stronger. I know, I know, right? So, I mean, if he was to manhandle a second grader, it would be a, a problem, not just for him, but for anybody that has to do the paperwork. True, true, that's fair. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we have that, and looking forward to that. We would like you to register. That is an option on the church app, as well as the website. If you don't register, it's fine. Come on out. We just want to make sure that we, are, um, that we have everything that we need for the amount of people that are coming. It is also an outreach event. So if you know somebody who doesn't go to church, who likes football and playing football, invite them. Um, it's a perfect opportunity for us to, to make that first point of contact and hopefully get them through the doors the following Sunday right. so they can start hearing about the gospel. Are you doing something after that? Yes. Yeah, because it would be rude. We have a lot of high schoolers playing, and it would be rude to totally drain their bodies of nutrients and not then supplement them with the things that they need. So next Sunday night, we are doing our revived Thanksgiving dinner because cool. Thanksgiving is already here. It, right. Pretty insane. So next Sunday from 5 to 8, we'll be doing our, our normal Thanksgiving dinner. And it is, it, it, we pointed out in the first service that it's good that meal comes after. Right. You don't want to play, you don't want to eat and then go play football. Yeah. The results could be disastrous. Yes. There was uh, the famous 2017 incident where somebody had the, they ate before coming to play right. and they had the yeah. stuffing knocked out of them. Yeah. That's, that's, Okay. I have so, five weeks to shape up these jokes, Yeah, no, 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 that's good. These dad that's jokes. Good. They that's good. Well, well, as I said, I'm, uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to speak this morning. And where we're going to go is we're continuing on this series on serving. And uh, uh, Susan and I are part of a group that's been making our way through the Book of Romans. And as we've done that, uh, each week there's been, you know, kind of something that's, that's hit me fresh, hit me in a different way. And uh, we hit Romans 6, I think it was two weeks ago. And uh, there was a passage in there that just grabbed me, and uh, I think it goes really well with what Dennis has been teaching about. And so, Brian, if you would, uh, as our lead into communion, if you could read Romans 6, verses 12 through 14, uh, that would be really helpful. Yeah. In the spirit of the series that came prior to this one as well, I'm going to read in three different versions. So it's a short passage, just a couple of verses, but I'm going to read it first in the New Living, then in the English Standard, and then finally in the New International. And there's one word that I'd like you to key in on, and it's the word instrument, because it's good to, to go back and forth between versions. It's good to, to notice how wording changes. Not, it doesn't change the meaning of the words that are there, but it does give us different perspectives. The one thing that is a stalwart that stays the same throughout all three of these versions is that word instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll hear it twice in each passage. Cling to that and, uh, and consider how God might be urging us and pushing us to do something with that this morning. Once I'm finished reading, we will go directly to communion. So we have stations around the room at the front and at the back. We have gluten-free stations up here on the platform and one back by the camera. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to evil desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Let sin, therefore, reign 
or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Love that song. To the one who has rescued my soul, welcome me home, Savior of all. It's all about him. Always has been. Um, love it. Love it. Uh, I wonder uh, how many of you remember being in high school. I mean, for some of us, it's easier than for others of us. Uh, but I remember high school very well. Uh, I remember, you know, different years kind of had a different feel to them for me anyway. Um, my sophomore year for me was pretty formative. Uh, as I think about my first year in high school as a freshman, uh, I really didn't have much of an identity. Like people didn't know who I was. Uh, I didn't know most of the people at my high school. Uh, and I remained pretty much anonymous uh, that first year in particular. Didn't get involved with a whole lot of things, kind of kept to myself. And so I decided that my sophomore year was going to be different. Like I was going to make a change, and I was going to do some different things uh, in order to have a different experience my sophomore year than my freshman year. I went into the year just determined to get involved with some new things, to meet some people, make some friends, and just generally like, participate, be more involved, uh, participate in a few more things. And so in my exuberance, uh, one of the things that I decided to do was try out for the basketball team. I mean, really, why not? The deck was so clearly stacked in my favor. I mean, I stand before you an impressive five feet, nine inches tall, and yes, I'm claiming every one of those inches, despite what your lying eyes may tell you. I'm, I, as, as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, this is something I want to do. See, I definitely was not the tallest guy out there, but that didn't bother me because I was also not the strongest, the fastest, the most skilled, or the most experienced. So I didn't let any of that get in my way, and I, I just knew. I had a sense in my, in my core. I had a sense that when the coaches saw me play, that they'd see I had the heart of a champion. I had a heart of a champion, and that they, they would respond to that. And so I went out there, and we scrimmaged, and we played, and we ran all sorts of drills, and I could tell, I could tell, slowly but surely, uh, I was winning them over because I was scrappy, scrappy, and I had heart, heart of a champion. And just as a side note, if, uh, if scrappy and heart are your two best attributes when you're trying out for a team, uh, that does not bode well. That's going to be a really tall uh, hill to climb. But I, undeterred, undeterred, I went on, we, we did all of the drills, we scrimmaged, and uh, the day came where they posted the list of people who made the team on the, on the gym wall. They did that back then. And so I sauntered up to that wall with confidence, knowing, knowing 
that I had won them over. And I looked at the list, and I saw on the list, Mark H. That made sense. Mark H. was tall. So, okay. Jim C. was a good shooter. Kind of made sense. Dave C. That's strange. Okay. A uh, few other names of, of kids that I knew until I finally, finally made it to the bottom of the list, and I saw nothing. Nothing. Undeterred, I checked the list again, but there was no mistaking it. The coaches had somehow made a grievous error. Huge mistake. They'd left the one kid off the team that could lead them to a championship off the list. The scrappy kid with heart was not on the list. I had not been selected. I was not picked. I wasn't chosen. Have you ever had an experience like that? A time where you really wanted something. I mean, you really wanted it, and you put your time into it, you put your energy into it, but you just came up short. Oh, man, it hurts, doesn't it? That does not feel good. It leaves you feeling empty or overlooked or just sad. I assure you, I wanted to make that team more than anything, but it didn't happen. Right? I gave my all, I laid it out there on the line, but it just wasn't enough. Maybe you've had an experience like that in some way. Right? You studied hard for the test, didn't get the grade that you thought you deserved. Right? Not given first chair in band, even though you thought you'd done everything to earn it, you'd practiced, you'd worked hard. Not picked for the part in the play, not asked to the dance, not given the raise that at your job you thought you had earned and that you had worked so hard for. Not selected, not wanted, not chosen. We've all been there at one point or another. We can all relate to that on some level, being overlooked or unwanted in some way. And those experiences that we all have inform so much of our perspectives on ourselves, our lives, on God, on His Word, and in so many other areas as well. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew twenty-two fourteen says this. It says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. When we hear a verse like that, our knee-jerk reaction is to say, See, I knew it! I knew it! It's just like high school basketball tryouts all over again. I'm probably not in the category of chosen. I probably fit more into the not chosen, not selected. I mean, if only a few are chosen, it's probably the fastest or the smartest or the strongest or the most experienced or something, and I probably am not in that category. I'm probably not chosen. Well, in our rush to apply our own experience to this particular scripture, we get it totally backwards. Jesus made this statement after telling a parable about a king. A king who had prepared uh, a wedding feast for his son. And he invited many people to come. Many, many people were invited. He sent out invitations asking for them to RSVP, but no one responded. No one, not one. So we sent people to ask them directly. I mean, he Facebook messaged them. He tweeted it. He threw it out there on Instagram, WhatsApp. I mean, he even, you guys probably don't know what this is. He left a message like on the, you can do that. You can leave a message on the phone. He sent an email looking for a reply, nothing. 
Nothing. No one responded. So what did he do? He widens the circle. Widens the circle. He invites even more people. More invitations. And finally, finally, someone, some come. Some come. Many are called. Few are chosen. Now why is that? Is it because some are more special than others? Is it because some are faster, smarter, stronger, more experienced? No. Absolutely not. Few are chosen not because the others were unloved, unwanted, or unwelcome. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's not that they weren't invited. It's simply that they chose not to respond. That's it. In a nutshell, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. God calls to humanity to come to him through Jesus for mercy, forgiveness, grace, purpose, and life. But many, so, so many, do not respond. We need to get this clear in our minds. If you have asked Jesus to be your forgiver and leader, if you have repented of your own sin and made Jesus the leader of your life, You are on the team. You're on the team. You made it. You're included. You have a part to play. Your name is on the only team list that ever really mattered anyway. It's called the book of life. Not because you're good. Not because you're smart. Not because you're fast. Not because of your experience. None of those things. But simply because you have chosen by faith to respond to God's free offer. That is it. You are chosen when you choose to respond to the gospel message of Jesus. You are chosen when you have chosen to follow Jesus. Many are called, but few are chosen. We hear a passage of Scripture like that, and sometimes it can discourage us because We misunderstand it or we misread it. We interpret it through our experience instead of interpreting it in the context in which it was written. Few were chosen. Why? Because few responded to the invitation. Because of that, it is really important for us to always respond to God's initiative It's important for us to react and move in response to the grace of God. Yes, it's important for us to respond to the message of the gospel so that we can have peace with God through Christ and receive the gift of salvation. That is absolutely true. That being said, it's also important for us to respond to him after we have become believers in Jesus so that we can grow in our faith And become more like Jesus because that is God's ultimate goal for us while we're still living here on earth. And that's been the focal point of this series on serving. Rethinking how we serve and why we serve and where we serve is all about God. what God is developing in us to form us to look more like Jesus. It's not about doing well. It's about loving well. Loving God and loving others well. Well, so now what? I mean, now that we know how to be a part of the team responding to the gospel of Jesus, now that we know that, how do we play? I mean, where do we play? What's our position? 
I mean, when we run out onto the field, where do we go? And how do we know that anyway? Maybe a more fundamental question would be this. What exactly is a serve? I mean, what constitutes serving? Does it have to be an officially sanctioned church event that occurs weekly or monthly? Does it have to occur on a Sunday? I mean, here we are, it's a Sunday. Does it need to be right now? Is this to serve? Do I have to teach something in order to serve? I mean, what if being a small group leader is not my thing, not my cup of tea? Do I still have a serve? How does that work? What happens if I don't know what my serve is? I mean, it's one thing for us to hear we're on the team, but if we can't readily identify our area of serving, we can feel left behind. We can feel left behind. You know, it's really tempting for us to draw our identity from our serve when in reality we know from Scripture that our identity is in Christ. It's not in the things that we do. It's tempting for us to respond to a series like this by trying to figure out the what. What is it? What's my spot? What's my position? When all along, Dennis has been challenging us to think about the how. The how. Specifically, that we're motivated to serve by love. So what is a serve? Well, I I would say it this way. A serve is anything that you do in the name of Jesus out of love for Jesus. Anything that you do in the name of Jesus out of love for Jesus. It is 100% about Him. So, with that definition, what qualifies as a serve? Can a serve be walking a little old lady across the street? Well, that all depends. Did you do it for the na- in the name of Jesus for love for Jesus? But what if it's not weekly? Is it still a serve? Well, it all depends. Are you doing it in the name of Jesus out of love for Jesus? Are you doing it out of a heart of love for the little old lady, or are you simply checking off a box so that you can say you got your serve on? It's about heart. It always has been. And I also suppose it's about the number of little old ladies that actually need to be walked across the street and how frequently they need to be walked, because if you walk them too much, they'll get tired. And that's not loving. (laughs) Not loving at all. Not loving at all. Well, does a serve, where, where does it have to happen? I mean, if it's on a street, is it, is it where? Does it have to be here, right, a church building? That seems like a reasonable place for a serve. That all depends. Are you doing it in the name of Jesus, out of love for Jesus? If you are, then yes. If you're not, it doesn't matter what you're doing because if your heart is not in the right place, the only serve you're doing is serving yourself, and that is not the same thing as serving God. They're not the same. A serve is not a buffet line where you serve yourself to meet your need to feel important and significant. We've already established, you are important, you are significant, we know that. That's a done deal. You're on the team. A serve can be so many things, but it all boils down to the heart. Why do you do what you do? It doesn't matter if it's weekly, monthly, semi-annually, or on every third Thursday on months that end with the letter Y. Your serve is you. Your serve is you. It's how you live every day. Well, do there have to be people around for my serve to count? Nope. Does it have to be at a church-sanctioned event? No. Where does a serve happen? Everywhere. Anywhere. 
Well, when does it happen? Anytime. Can my serve occur while I'm talking to my neighbor? Yes. Can it happen in my car when I'm praying for my kids? Absolutely. At the risk of stating the obvious, let me point out that your serve can happen right now. Right now, this morning, right where we are. It can happen on your way out the door after service is over. I mean, we're, we're here, the lot of us, each one of us impacted by living in a fallen and broken world. Each one of us dealing with our own personal struggles and private pain. Every one of us has deep, heartfelt needs. We all came walking in here this morning with filthy feet in need of a good foot washing, needing a word of encouragement, a shoulder to cry on, a friend to lean on, a person to pray for us. Every one of us can do the work that Jesus did. We can serve each other if we'll just take the time to put God's agenda ahead of our own. If we'd linger a little longer, be a little more open and available and attentive to the needs of one another. Jesus said in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't know how this series has hit you, but I've found it convicting in in some ways. Sometimes I find myself wondering, well, what am I supposed to do? I mean, what area am I supposed to be in? Where am I supposed to go? It's not clear. I'm not sure. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, John, dude, look around. I mean, you don't have to wait for an engraved invitation. There are dirty feet all over the room. Fill a bucket with water, grab a towel, and get busy. I mean, when service is over this morning, avoid the urge to just run out and grab lunch. Linger longer today. Ask the Holy Spirit. Give me an opportunity to serve someone that needs a word of encouragement or friendship that you can offer, and then give it. In the name of Jesus, out of love for Jesus, offer it. It's all about heart. Are you living the way that you're living in the name of Jesus, out of love for Jesus, or are you doing it in your own name, out of love for you? That's really the issue. That's the issue. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, For you are a chosen people, a chosen people. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You're chosen, yes, but you're chosen for a reason, a purpose. Chosen so that you can show others the goodness of God. But why? One reason. So that they can be chosen too. So they can be chosen too. God wants your kids, your friends, your co-workers, your family, your neighbors to be chosen too. And he wants to involve you in the process so that you can see with your own eyes and experience with yourself the power of God as it flows through you to accomplish God's purposes in a world that desperately needs his wonderful light. In his famous Sermon on the Mount. Jesus emphasized this. He said, let your light shine before men. Why? So that they can think you're a good person? No. So that they may see your good works and give glory 
to your Father who is in heaven. You are chosen for a purpose that others may see your good works, the good works that you do, inspired by the God who knows them and who loves them so that they can be chosen too. So we know. If we've responded to the gospel message, we're on the team. Your purpose? To shine light, God's light before others so that they can be chosen too. Your motivation? Love for God and love for people. So knowing all of that, How do we prepare ourselves to serve God in our homes, in our schools, in our stores, in our places of business, in our music halls, in our athletic venues, and every other place that we find ourselves in? I mean, what can we do to increase our ability to serve well? Well, it starts by recognizing not only are you on the team, you're in the band. You're in the band. We ran across this, this verse that Brian read from Romans uh, a couple weeks ago, and it, it just struck me as instruction from Paul on how we can do just that, how we can grow in serving. Let me read it for you one more time. Paul writes, Don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. really felt like this passage spoke to how we can grow in serving. Because in the passage, Paul gives us two things. What not to do and what to do. A negative and a positive. Something to avoid and something to engage in. He writes that we need to not let any part of ourselves become an instrument of evil to serve sin. That's the negative. That's Don't do that. As disciples of Christ, we are God's instruments. We are his trombones and trumpets, his drums and cellos, his flutes and clarinets. We are his guitars and keyboards, his French horns and sousaphones, his invaluable array of incredible instruments. Sometimes I wonder if I'm the the triangle that, that makes the... I'm not sure, but sometimes I wonder that. He's the designer. He built all these instruments. He put them together He's the master performer as well. He's the one that plays the instruments. And he's composed an incredible symphony that all of us get to be a part of as we do the good things that God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you think about any instrument, any instrument needs to be played in order to make music. An instrument that is only displayed, that is never played, is not really fulfilling its purpose, is it? I mean, it might look good, it might look pretty, but if it's never played, if it never makes music, it's missing out on why it was made to begin with. The same is true for us. Once we accept God's free gift of salvation, our lives are designed to bring God glory by the way that we live and the things that we do. And as we live in concert with Him, 
His Spirit is able to produce a compelling arrangement that is attractive and draws others to Himself as well. But Paul warns us, there's one thing we have to watch out for. If our lives are going to make the music that God intends for them to deliver, we cannot offer ourselves or any part of ourselves to sin. When we do that, we live for ourselves instead of living for God. I mean, it's sort of like handing a priceless, beautiful, Stradivarius violin to a three-year-old. What is that three-year-old going to do? What's that toddler going to do? Well, they're going to slobber all over it until it's sopping wet. right? They're going to pull the strings out. They're going to rip off the neck. They're going to use it as a hammer. They're going to completely destroy that incredible, amazing instrument. That is what sin does to us. It lies to us. It confuses us. It abuses us and it leaves us a broken mess. And so, once we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, Paul warns us, stop letting yourself get played by sin. When we offer ourselves to sin, we're getting played. We're getting played. We're getting played and warped and the actions of our lives, the music of our lives becomes distorted so that no one can recognize the beautiful symphony that God wrote. No one can recognize our good works and praise our Father in heaven. Paul wrote, Don't let any part of your body become an instrument to serve sin. And the word let really catches our attention because it's passive. It's passive. When we just let something happen, we're permitting it. We're allowing it. We're lazily going with the flow and just letting it happen. That's what Paul is warning against here. It doesn't take much to let yourself become an instrument of sin. All it takes is to stop pursuing Christ with everything you have. To stop running after Him. To stop pursuing Him. The moment we stop pursuing Him, we start serving self. And we get out of tune. Fortunately, there is a solution to that. The positive part. Paul goes on to say, not just what not to do, he says, Give yourselves completely to God. Give is different than let. Give is different than let. Let is lazy. Give is intentional. Let is status quo. Leave it the way it is. It's fine. Don't change it. Give is active. Let is careless. Whatever. Give is purposeful. Giving ourselves completely to God means that we use our whole body as an instrument to do what is right, to serve God for the name of Jesus, out of love for Jesus. It is an active pursuit of God, His Word, and His purpose in our lives. Now, every instrument at some point or another needs to be tuned. It has to be tuned. If it's going to perform at peak efficiency, it has to be tuned. An untuned instrument is not a pleasant thing to listen to. I mean, even the most finely crafted instrument at some point needs to be tuned. Otherwise, it's not going to make the music that it was designed to make. Paul is telling us that we need to be properly tuned so that our serve, the things that we do, are the unmistakable work of the composer, of God, and His purpose in our lives. And not just some random noise that we're clanging on our own. 
Take the guitar. Perfect example. When you tune a guitar, the first thing that you need is a proper reference. You have to have a proper reference. Without the right reference, you can kind of, sort of, maybe, by ear, get the strings so that they're sort of tuned relative to one another, uh, and so it might maybe sort of sound okay. But when, the moment you try to take that guitar and pair it with another instrument, it is a disaster. Right? You have to be tuned to the right reference. Otherwise, the guitar is playing a G and the keyboard is playing a B flat. It sounds awful. It sounds terrible. And the thing that we need to understand is that we're made to be in a band. The orchestra of believers, commonly referred to as the church in the New Testament. Just like a guitar, we need a proper, proper reference for our lives in order to be in tune. Because if our lives are tuned to anything other than the standard of God's Word, we're going to find ourselves sounding a lot less like the gospel and a lot more sounding like the world. And Paul says, no, no. Give yourself completely to God. Stay in tune with Him. Stay in tune with His Word. Stay in tune with what He says. As Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That sounds like beautiful music to me. We need His reference and to align ourselves to it so that we can be effective. Now, if you've ever watched the tuning process of a guitar, there are knobs. There are knobs on the neck of the guitar that you use in order to change the tension on each of the strings. And as you do that, the note on the guitar is tuned to the reference. And we get that, right? We understand that's the way that you tune a guitar. But we don't like to talk about words like tense or tension or pressure when it comes to our lives. We get it when it comes to a guitar. We don't like those words when we're talking about our lives. But the fact of the matter is, God will often use the tension in our lives to get our attention, to help bring our focus back to Him. And that tension can come in a lot of forms. Sometimes it's external influences outside of our control that are trying and painful, but force us to trust God so that our faith in Him grows and deepens. Sometimes the tension is the the pressing of God's Spirit, calling attention to actions and patterns in our lives that are out of tune that are not aligned to His Word, that need to be adjusted. Sometimes the tension even comes from our serve, where God's Spirit pushes on our hearts so that we're doing it for the right reason and not simply because stuff has to get done. And we have a role to play in this process. Our role in the process is to simply let the Master tune the way He sees fit. We're the instrument. We're not the designer. We're not the composer. We're the instrument. And so our role is to be humble before God, to spend time with Him, to meditate on Him, on His Word, as He forms Christ in us so that we can play our part in the great symphony that He's written. I'd like to close this morning by looking at the last psalm in the book of Psalms. Psalm 150, it's the last one in there. And as we read it, 
Notice how the picture that's being painted here is really, it's the embodiment of what the church is supposed to be, the way it should look, and how amazing it is when we work together, or as Psalm 133, 1 puts it, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, in harmony, all together. So the psalm says this, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty works. Praise His unequal greatness. That's the what. All focused on Him. How? Praise Him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise Him with the lyre and the harp. Praise Him with the tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with strings and flutes. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. And it ends the same way that it started. Praise the Lord. Just look at all those different instruments there. Horns, stringed instruments, there's percussion, wind instruments, there's even dancing, and all of it, all of it happens for one unifying purpose, and that is to bring praise and glory to God. What an amazing picture. What a compelling composition designed to draw the whole world to God. What an incredible designer. So this morning, remember, if you've responded to God's offer of forgiveness and mercy through the blood of Jesus, you're on the team. You're in the band. You're an instrument that God wants to use to accomplish His good work in the world Let's get after it. Let's talk to Him. Father, we acknowledge You as Creator. We acknowledge You as our Designer. We acknowledge that there are things that You have made for each one of us to do, parts that You want us to play, and You have filled this room with beautiful instruments, trumpets, trombones, guitars, Cushion. God, I pray that you would help us to live into the instruments you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> when did you, you get up here? Nice, nice to have you here today. <laughs> How about now? Sorry, you, you had, he had no idea I was coming in to do that. I've not even I've not even seen him this morning, so or anyone. I wanted a chance to, uh, you know, we the, our our children's programs are pretty tech dependent and from time to time little uh, tech gremlins enter the computers and such and and it's easy to fix during the week when nobody's here but when everybody's here using their phones all that kind of stuff we have issues so the only way to figure it out was to watch but what I got to see was um, you know was a little kid holding on to mom's leg for dear life saying don't make me go and Susan Beaker just sitting and talking to the kid. And before you know it, he let go. And he entered that room and was the most interactive kid in the room all morning long. Cheerful, smiling, answering questions, participating all along the way. And I know, you know, fortunately my kids are 32, 30, and 25. And they don't cry when we go to church anymore. And... Brian did, okay? So he did, like a baby. He cried all the time. 
I remember the misery of dropping the kid off at the door and thinking, it's not worth it. I'm just not going to do it. It's totally worth it. It's totally worth it. Once they got in there, they had a great time. I learned about Elisha today. I learned about getting rid of our leprosy. I mean, the, the things that they did today, it was just, it was so fun in there. So for those of you that have the littler kids and you wake up Sunday morning going, I don't want to go through the battle again. That's why God made you the parent. All right? He didn't make you their best friend when they're four. He made you the parent to say, we're doing this today. We're doing this today. And uh, it's, it's, all, it's all together worth it. So I'm oh, so grateful for our kid workers. They do an awesome job. Very grateful for John using his giftedness today. And uh, we have prayer going on down here if you need to pray this morning. And on this side over here, uh, we're having a meeting of our snow removal team. You know, it's kind of funny. You know, last night I'm thinking, ah, oh, we got weeks till snow. And there it is. So if you're part of that team or would like to be a part of that team, meet me up here. You have a good morning. We'll see you.